as we begin this season of Advent, we gather to give thanks for God's gracious gift. God in flesh comes as the image of the invisible Father. For centuries, Israel waits for the promised king. As the years turn into decades and the decades into centuries, expectation wanes. Hope barely flickers. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light this candle, declaring with God's people through ages that despite the waiting, our hope, our trust is in God who has sent his Son. Dear God, on this first Sunday of Advent, let this light shine brightly as the days grow shorter, so that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Let me invite you to share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here this morning in worship.
Good morning, friends. I'm Kristen Sanisith. It's awesome to see all of you. Um, I'm the director of the women's ministry for our Western New York district of Wesleyan churches. So 30-some churches of women, we um, plan events about three times throughout the year. And one of our events is actually molded into the Women of Worship event that the college is putting on. So in April 27th, 22nd, April 22nd, is the Women of Worship event that'll be the second time they're running it. Last year was a concert and a speaker. This year is an all-day event with a hole right at dinner time that um, the college has presented an idea just for us. So the day will be breakout sessions and lunch, and then there is this section right in the middle that is dinner just for the Wesleyan women group. And that's us, and that's all of the 30-some other churches of women that would like to attend this. And then after that is um, just for, for our group of Wesleyan women and any women that we want to bring with us, we would be sitting in the gold row, gold seating, which is stage, and then us. And um, then there's a Laura Story concert and a keynote speaker from Proverbs 31 Ministries. So it's an awesome time for bunches and bunches of us to come and hang out together, be fed. The theme of the day will be Refresh Your Spirit, and it should be an awesome time for us to join together as women and fellowship together. Um, if you ha need any more information about this event, the specific dates for us to sign up for us to be included in this Wesleyan Women package is until December 7th. Yes, December 7th is the deadline for us to sign up so that we get the seating that we um, talked with the facility about and so that we, we get to be included in the dinner. The dinner is going to be held in the Nielsen Center, the Nielsen, the Nielsen Gym right on the gymnasium floor. So that should be kind of fun. Um, the cost is $95 for the entire day. And you can kind of shoot me a line or like find me on Facebook or just call the college. Houghton College is putting on this massive event. So we'd love to see you there. And um, thank you guys for watching the kids while your girls are there. Thank you, Kristen. Just a couple of other things. We have a couple of things for you today. On the back table, we have a bookmark um, as a concluding part of our uh, fall worship about freedom and also the prayer vigil. On one side is an image of Pilgrim's Progress, and on the other side is a prayer we found, a prayer to be free. It seems very apropos for all the things we've been talking about related to freedom. So please feel free to take, pick up one or more of those. And we also have this year's Advent booklet, uh, each week, the Sundays of Advent, a devotional for uh, you, your family, friends, however you want to do this. There's also this year an, an insert in those where this is uh, geared to uh, help with children as well as a part of it, especially small children. So I encourage you again to pick up one of those as you leave today or more if you know of others who might want them. And next Sunday, uh, we are collecting our Matthew 820 Refugee Initiative Jars. So we want to bring those with you next week, and we'll distribute one more booklet for the next 12 weeks following. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. 
In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward. overwhelmed when we think of how you love to bless us each day, and we joyfully give back to you now. We pray that you would use these gifts beyond what we can imagine to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. salvation 
in times of waiting, times of need. When I know lost, when I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Who the final day he will not leave me in the grave but I will rise he will call me home the Lord is my salvation great Lord who is our salvation, our light, invites us to come to him and to open our hearts to him. We're going to spend a few moments praying together and we do, those of you who'd like to come use the altar rail, I invite you to do that. Before we come to pray, please join me in the prayer of confessions printed in your bulletin. Father, in this season of Advent, when we grasp for power and things, remind us that Christ came in weakness, in humility as a child. When we allow darkness to overcome the light, forgive us, Lord. When we reduce Christmas to things, have mercy on us, Father. When hardness of heart keeps us from seeing and believing in your Son, let your grace fill us. Forgive our doubt 
and renew our hope in Christ alone that we may watch and wait and once more rejoice to hear the glad story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we begin another Advent season, we ask that you will prepare us once again for the coming of Christ. Help us to have hearts that are ready to be taught by you. Make us more open to the changes that you know we need. Give us a hunger for the word. Give us eyes, the eyes of Jesus ourselves and for others. In this world of chaos and violence, conflict, war, pain, let the Prince of Peace fill our hearts with a desire for peace. In this world of aliens and strangers, of refugees and displaced people, give us wise compassion Minister in the name of the one who had no place to lay his head. Father, we pray for the world in which we live. We pray for those who live as refugees from home. Protect them. Help them to, um, to find safety and a good place for family. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling from recent disasters and terrorist attacks and and acts of violence. We ask that you would bring healing and peace. We pray, Father, for your church. Think of Chris and Melissa George ministering in Australia and Perth. We pray that you will bless this new Carols in the Park ministry, that it will open doors to be able to help people see who you are. And to experience your grace. We pray for the church in Mexico. As these Christian families carry on an active work and witness. In spite of severe harassment. We ask Father that they will remain strong in the faith. And that they will be, that they will be people of grace and love. Even toward those who persecute them. We pray Father for our nation. We have a need for healing and unity. Let your grace be poured out upon us and help the church to be agents of grace. We pray, Father, for the churches around us here, especially for the Crosstown Alliance Church in Wellsville and Pastor Gorham. May your blessing be upon this congregation. May, may their hearts be woven together in your love. They would be, continue to be a witness for you. And Father, we think of the concerns of our own body. We pray for those who are grieving. We think especially of the family of Blanche Weaver. May your comforting presence and your healing grace be upon them. And for all who, especially during this holiday time, are sensing that loss most intensely, 
We pray for those who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Ben King, David Hartley, Mildred Berry, Doris Asepian, Tammy Dunmire, Eilis Shea, and Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Oral Buecher, Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey and Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck and Bevrett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our hearts and minds today. May your healing grace be evident in their lives. Father, we thank you for the way that you give us peace when we are concerned about the future. Thank you for giving us direction as we stand at the crossroads roads of life's uncertainties. We pray that you will continue to reconcile what seems irreconcilable, encourage where hope seems lost, provide for needs that seem far beyond us. And in this week of thanksgiving, make us people who are continually grateful for all of your blessings, not the least of which the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ. We offer these prayers in his name, through his grace, remembering his first appearing and living in hope of his second appearing and praying together the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Please stand for the reading of the gospel and remain standing for the song that follows. The New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. I suspect that there are lots of images that come to our mind when we think about what that day will look like when Christ comes and ushers in his kingdom in all of its fullness. We probably have a variety of thoughts and ideas and perspectives about that. And Isaiah gives us another perspective. In the second chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, he speaks about the last days, or as some of the translations have it, that day. That day when God will usher in all of his kingdom and all of its fullness, and everything will be put right. It's an amazing picture. It's one of my favorite pictures, visions in in all of Scripture about what God is going to do for this broken, hurting world. We get an image of, even though the prophecy is for Judah and Jerusalem, for God's people, it's an image for the whole world. He says this mountain will rise, this mountain that represents the presence, the glory of God will rise And not just Judah and Jerusalem will come to it, but all the nations of the world will stream to it. They will all come. I have this vision in my mind. close my eyes and I see this mountain and I just teeming masses of people making their way toward it. Excited, overjoyed, thrilled that that they have finally understood what they haven't really understood before. That glorious time. And as these people come, they will worship God. They will learn who God is. They will understand the nature and the character of God. We try, we work hard at it, we get we we understand things, but we, we can't quite understand fully the nature of God. On that day, they will begin to learn, we'll learn more and more of who God is. But it isn't just about their relationship to God. It is also a day in which God will work, will heal, and reconcile human relationships. I think sometimes we view the gospel as having only to do with our relationship with God. But scriptures tell us again and again and again that it is as well about our relationship with each other. And in this vision of, the, of that day, Isaiah says that these nations who have been at war with each other will find peace. God will mediate peace between them. They will be reconciled. And they will put down their weapons of war. Actually, they don't just put down their weapons of war. They are so committed to peace. It it is so much a part of what the world will be for them that they actually take these weapons of war and they turn them into tools to plant and to harvest and to create and to flourish. Weapons that have been used to tear down, to injure, to kill, to destroy, now become tools to feed and to nourish I think sometimes we, 
we think about these kinds of things, and, and I think that's important because often, you know, you have something in your house that you think, well, will we ever use that again? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Well, we might, just in case. So we'll put it back here in, this, in the corner of the basement, just in case, right? Now, I know you probably don't have those places in your house, but we have those places in our house. Where, you know, and, and we do that. We look at it and we think, ah, will we use it? Will we not? There's something in the back of our minds that says, well, we might, so we better hang on to it. Because you know, the minute you get rid of it, there you need it, right? That's the way it always works. So we put it back in that corner of the basement just in case. This is not one of those just-in-case kinds of moments. They aren't putting their weapons down and putting them back in the corner of the basement saying, you know, we might need that, so just in case, let's hang on to it. Now they're letting it go. Turning it in to something completely different from negative to positive. But not only that, it's an emotional, it's a psychological change It's not just about the weapon that's in their hand. It's about how they think about other people. It's one thing to say, okay, we're going to put aside our weapons. We're even going to to turn our weapons into into tools for flourishing. It's a whole other thing to say, we're not even going to contemplate war anymore. We're not going to strategize about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to consider it even an option. It is now no longer a part of our lives. It's hard for us to imagine that mindset because we live in a world that is continually at war. Isaiah gives us this glimpse of what it will be like and it it, it is a glorious picture. It's an amazing picture of healing and reconciliation and peace. I often think about this picture when I read stories of wars and conflicts in the world and, and the way that we, we fight with one another. And this image comes to my mind and I think, wow, what a day that's going to be. When we put all that aside... We're no longer grasping for power. We're no longer manipulating other people, whether you're talking about internationally or within the nation or people in general. We just want peace. And when I read this passage, I don't think he's only talking about international relations. As important as that is and as as significant as that is, I think he's talking about conflict in general. It's pretty easy for me to say, I wish those nations would stop fighting with each other. It's a whole other thing for me to say, I need to stop fighting with that person. Here's the call of the gospel as I read this passage. The call of the gospel is that when we think about that day that will come, we often see it as a means of escape. We're going to escape from this broken world. We're going to escape from the pain and the heartache and the conflict and the war. And and we're going to escape out of it. And then God's going to bring his judgment to bear on it. But that's not the picture that Isaiah paints for us. What he says is that God is going to come 
his servant is going to return, reappear. And he is going to bring peace to the earth. And instead of thinking of our role in this as some people, as people who escape from the pain, this message, this vision says to us, we actually have a role in beginning the process of bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. We could sit back and say, well, God's going to do this and we don't really have anything to say about it if it weren't for verse 5. You know, you read along in Scripture and you think, wow, this is really good. Yes, yes, yes. And then you come to verse and go, man, I wish that really wasn't there. And verse 5 is one of those. And it's interesting to me that a lot of the Bibles I looked at, they have a section, the section ends at verse 4. And verse 5 begins a new section. But I think verse 5 is the follow-up to verses 1 to 4. Because 1 to 4, here's this glorious picture. And then he looks at Judah and Jerusalem and says, now here's what I want you to do. You walk in the light of the Lord. And that's our calling. And the question that's been going around in my mind is, what does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? And I think in this context, it means that we are as committed to the image that we that Isaiah paints about the last day then as we are now. We want the kingdom of heaven that Isaiah paints then to start taking place now, in this day. And we, we hear the call of the gospel to be agents of bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, as we just prayed a few moments ago. That we want to be agents of reconciliation, agents of peace. Now, it's going to be a little bit difficult for us to be agents of peace. Most of us won't have the opportunity to be peace agents and reconcilers among nations. If we get that opportunity, awesome. And I think we always ought to be looking for those opportunities to be a voice. But probably, more than likely, the place where the calling, this calling is going to be in our lives is reconciliation in our relationships. In our homes, places where we work, places we go, the people we interact with. That we become agents of reconciliation and peace that begins to create an atmosphere here on earth that Isaiah paints in heaven. I think that's our calling. Now, it's one thing to say, let's talk about the vision of heaven. That's pretty awesome. And yes, we want that to happen and we can't wait for that to happen. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to be a part of trying to make that happen now. I'm going to put down my weapons of war. Actually, more than that, I'm going to turn my weapons of war into weapons of peace and reconciliation. I'm going to to ask God to continue to help me to not train for war anymore. To stop thinking about how I need to protect myself and defend myself in these relationships. And to to make sure that I get the last word. To grab for power. Even to manipulate and use people to get what I want. 
it's something we all wrestle with. And the tricky thing about that is that we can we say, well, I want to commit myself to being that kind of reconciling person, reconciling influence and peacemaker. But that gets tricky when you realize we live in a world where other people are playing by different rules. We're putting down our weapons, and most of the world isn't putting down their weapons. It suddenly sort of reminds me of those old westerns where you have the, the two, two people with guns facing, pointed at each other, and they're at a stalemate. Nobody wants to shoot because they know they'll be shot. And so they finally get to the place where they say, all right, I'll put down my gun if you put down yours. And the other guy says, I'll put down mine if you put down yours. And they kind of do this, but nobody takes their hand off the trigger because they don't want to be the first one to let go of the gun because the other person might not keep their word. And it's a stalemate until somebody takes the first step. And whether we like it or not, the radical call of the gospel is that we take the first step. We don't sit back and wait for other people to come to the place of where they have, they have, they, we feel comfortable with how they, what they're doing that we then say, okay, now I'll work at this. God's people have the privilege and the responsibility to take the first step. To put down our weapons. The hard part about that, of course, is that makes us feel awfully vulnerable. We don't like feeling vulnerable. I don't like feeling vulnerable. It's risk. We avoid risk. We run away from risk. We do everything we can to get away from risk. We don't want to be vulnerable. And yet the call of the gospel is to be willing to be vulnerable for the greater good. To be agents of of bringing God's purposes on earth. And we know that's what God wants us to do because that's what God does. The ultimate risk taker is God. From the very moment of creation, God, God takes risk after risk after risk. And he keeps risking with people and people keep rejecting him and he keeps taking risks with them and they keep rejecting him and on and on until we come to Jesus. And now you would think, okay, now he has done it. This is the greatest revelation of God and he is going to make sure we get it. He's going to make sure we see it. And he is going to come in power and might and majesty. But he doesn't. He comes like a baby. He comes as a baby. There is nothing more helpless in this world than an infant. Absolutely nothing. Someone said to me coming out of the last service, they were holding a little baby and said, you're so right about that because this, the baby's probably two or three months old. He said, she said, you still can't do anything. You know, can't, an infant can't feed itself, can't protect itself. It can't do anything. can't even roll over. And this is God in human flesh. This is the strategy that God uses to come into the world to show us what the kingdom looks like and what his people look like. 
And so John, in his prophecy, says, talks about the light that's come into the world. He's speaking of Jesus. And, and that's awesome, and we love that. What's so amazing is that when you get that Matthew follows that up in, in his gospel and says, not only Jesus is the light of the world, but Jesus looks at his disciples, at people like you and me, and says, you're the light of the world. And you want to say, really? Us? Yes, you are my witnesses. You are my representatives. When people think about me, they're going to look at you and see me in you. Wow. I want to say, have you looked at us lately? Really? Yeah. I think it comes down to keeping our eyes focused on the mountain. That's one of the things about this image. Everything's about the mountain. People running to the mountain. It's from the mountain that mediation comes. It's it's because of the mountain that all these people put down their weapons and don't study war anymore. It's all about the mountain. And that's the problem with us is that we we lose our focus on the mountain. The the verses following verse 5, 6 through most of the rest of the chapter and woven all throughout Isaiah's prophecy and most of the scripture, God says, you know, you keep running back to these places. You keep running back to these other gods. I think when he, when he talks even in here about the mountain rising up above the hills, I think there is a subtle message in that because in Israel, where did you go to worship false gods? You went to the hills. And Isaiah is saying this mountain is so much bigger than that. But it's focusing on the, on the mountain. I will never forget... I was thinking about this earlier. 39 years ago, when we, you know, I grew up in southern Indiana, and a mountain was sort of like a, that ridge that if you got on your tiptoes, you could look over it. And then we moved to Oregon, and I still remember driving down Interstate 86 in the Columbia River Gorge and coming around that turn, and right in front of me was Mount Hood. Wow. Well, that's a mountain. And just... I almost had to stop driving because I was so awestruck by this. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up and my pulse began to race. And, and I made that trip dozens of times. And every single time, I had the exact same reaction. It's just, it's just awesome. It, it's beyond words. Just that, that sense of the majesty and the power of this mountain. I think if we could grasp that about who God is, it would change how we live. But so often our focus is off of the mountain. It's on all the other stuff. It's on all the things. And they're not unimportant, but they only have, they're only in the right place when our focus is on the mountain. And of course, when you focus on the mountain, you're drawn to it, just like people are. And, and you want to climb that mountain, And I think God invites us to do that. But we all know it's risky to climb mountains. You can get hurt climbing mountains. I mean, I'm I'm afraid of heights. I don't like that fourth or fifth rung of a ladder. I don't like standing on the edge of the balcony up there, to be honest with you. It makes my knees weak. I'm not a mountain climber. Why? Because I'm afraid. And what I find is that so often we, we think the Christian life is about... How to be safe. What's the safest route to take? What's the safest thing we can do? 
that we, we judge holiness based on not doing something wrong. Not making a mistake. But when you read the Gospels, particularly a lot of Jesus' parables, I think this is why we have such, hard, such a hard time with them, is that he flip-flops that completely. And he says to the people who played it safe, get away from me. You missed it. And the people who take risks with him, he says, that's exactly what I want to do. And I think it's because the reason we play it safe is because we don't really trust God. We don't really believe that God is who he says he is. And so we hedge our bets. And we say it's about being safe. And we think being a Christian is about following the rules. It's about being moral. It's about playing it safe. When we read the scriptures, we find it's about being open to God. It's about being open to Christ so much so that if he says, leap, we leap. If he says, run, we run. If he says, stop, we stop. To walk in the light of the Lord is to live with such an openness to God because we're so focused on the mountain that we want what he wants. And we're willing to be vulnerable and we're willing to risk in order to make that happen. But you know, mountain climbing is not something you do by yourself. We need each other. Every so often through my life, I've gotten, uh, a, I don't know, I guess a, a shot of adrenaline and courage, and I've climbed up to some place that I thought, I can do this. And I talk myself into it, and I get into a spot, and then I can't get down. Talk to Cindy or my sister about an event at Sacre Coeur in Paris. And uh, there are still, I'm sure, French people laughing about that event that they watched take place. I'd still be at those places. I'd still be hung out in the, on a roof or on a landing if it weren't for other people. For people who encouraged me, took my hand, helped me through it, got me down. You see, this, this being the the people of God, bearing the image of Christ, bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven isn't something we do by ourselves. He doesn't say, he doesn't address this prophecy to a person. He addressed this prophecy to God's people. It is something we do together. When Paul writes to the Corinthians about being reconcilers, he's writing to the church. There's no way any of us are going to be able to be the kind of witnesses, the kind of light that God is calling us to be, the agents of of reconciliation in this world without each other. To pick each other up, to encourage each other, to help each other, to, to walk with each other. It's impossible without each other. That, too, is the radical nature of the gospel. It's always It's always plural activity. It's the church. I don't think anybody in this world will ever truly believe that the image Isaiah paints 
is the truth. Unless they see a glimpse of that truth in the people who say they believe it. And that's our calling. That's walking in the light. Focused on the mountain. Living in a spirit of openness to God. And when we do, it is amazing. It's amazing how God puts us into places where we have the opportunity and the privilege to put down our weapon first and to be agents of peace and healing and reconciliation. So this morning, as you think about your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, your perspectives, your relationships, probably the place to start is to ask ourselves, is there an adversarial relationship in my life that I need to take a first step? There's no guarantee how people will respond to that. Absolutely no guarantee. But that's not our responsibility. We're just called to take the first step. Put down our weapons. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a, it's a people group that rubs you the wrong way, that, that you, you've had bad experiences with. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a nation that you really wrestle with. Are we so focused on the mountain, walking in the light, or open enough to God to, to be agents? reconciliation and healing and to actually actually help bring more and more every day the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. During this Advent season we wait for that day near the end of December when we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But it's also a time to wait to prepare for that day when Jesus comes again and to help other people be ready and waiting and living and anticipating like we are. Father, you know the struggle in our hearts. We want to be people who walk in the light. We want to be people who who actually together help people see that the mountain is real. It's true in Christ. So give us grace to be willing to to take the first step. We pray this through Jesus.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.